Welcome to another episode of the AlbumReview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. I'm coming to you today from my newly renovated studio in Framingham, Massachusetts. I'll put a video of, of this up on our YouTube page, Album Review with Greg Potters. But I'm happy to get out of the house and partner with this company who's given me the opportunity to use this beautiful studio. So let's get going. This is our first episode of 2024. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't believe it's 2024, dude. It was 2004, like 12 minutes ago. But it is what it is. And I wanted to ask you this question. Who is the best American classic rock and roll band in the world? Any thoughts? You give up? Well, in the late 1960s, a group of kids from Massachusetts and New Jersey formed a band in Sunapee, New Hampshire. Yes, Sunapee, New Hampshire. They would later move down to Boston where they honed their chops and after choosing their name inspired by Harry Nilsson's 1968 album Aerial Ballet, the band Aerosmith was born. By 1975, the band entered the studio to record what was then going to be their third album titled Toys in the Attic. This is a review of that definitive, timeless album. So sit back and relax. Would you like a, a schmuck and a pancake while you relax? Would you like a schmuck and a pancake? A what? A schmuck and a pancake. You know, flapjack and a cigarette? Hmm? All right. Sugar and a waffle? No. Pipe and a crepe? No. Bong and a blintz? No. Oh, well, then there is no pleasing you. Well, this will please you for sure. Get ready for this review of Aerosmith's 1975 album, Toys in the Attic. Amongst most of my musician friends, I am one of the few that really fell in love with the band Aerosmith. In the late 80s, as the band was mounting their huge comeback, their image shifted focus primarily onto lead singer Steven Tyler and his appetite for displaying his sex appeal. By the 1990s, when the band was back on top, sex was the driving force behind the band's image. I think this turned off some of their fans from the 70s. And looking deeper at the band's catalog, it's important to look at the first five to seven years that Aerosmith made music. Their third studio album, Toys in the Attic, is their strongest. Released on April 8th, 1975, Toys in the Attic demonstrates the beginning of American hard rock. Take Southern Blues, mix it with the Rolling Stones, speed up the tempo. Your definition is Aerosmith. They didn't have the soft rock label like the Eagles or the 
black magic blues and heavy metal label like Led Zeppelin. Aerosmith was stripped down, hard rock at a faster speed. In the 1970s, all five members of the band had everyone's attention. And by the 90s, Tyler and lead guitarist Joe Perry became the faces of the group. Originally marinated in Sunapee, New Hampshire, of all places, the band moved to Boston, Massachusetts and officially formed in 1970. After two studio albums, Aerosmith re-entered the studio in New York City in late 1974 to record Toys in the Attic. Toys was their third album, but first album in several years where they had to write new material. For their first two albums, the self-titled Aerosmith and Get Your Wings, the band recorded all their previously written songs from their early years before they became known globally. The album kicks off with the title track, Toys in the Attic. and raw, and any musician can identify Joe Perry's fast, bluesy Gibson Les Paul guitar riff and Tom Hamilton's 1960s Fender jazz bass. Aerosmith's sound is full, which unlike trios and quartets, there is a lot of meat in their music. No offense, Rush. How many times do you hear a flowing rhythm guitar riff that disappears during the guitar solo? This is because the guitarist has got to switch from the riff to the solo. Well, Aerosmith thought about this early on and added an additional rhythm guitar player, Brad Whitford, to the fill so that he could add guitar parts and keep the sound meaty. Unlike a lot of rock albums, the bass guitar on Toys in the Attic is very much present and in the forefront. Record producer Jack Douglas pans several of the instruments to enable you to hear certain riffs in your left ear while other instruments are present in your right. On tracks like Uncle Salty, Adam's Apple, and Sweet Emotion, the bass guitar is just as loud as the electric guitar and not buried in the background like a lot of other albums from the 70s. From this album, Sweet Emotion and Walk This Way definitely became Aerosmith staples. They're as popular today as they were in 1975. And if you pull most fans of general popular rock music, 
they all know Sweet Emotion and Walk This Way. Heck, I would even say outside of the rock and roll genre, you ask people that are into hip-hop, they know those songs. I first, I first heard the intro riff to Walk This Way when I was in fifth grade. An older student had a now nostalgic 80s boombox. He played the song off a cassette tape despite our wrestling coach's request to turn it down. It was another musical experience I would never forget. Drummer Joey Kramer's solo beat starts the song, then the riff hits you. It was an experience that would provide further evidence music really had a strong effect on me. I immediately stopped what I was doing and just listened. I couldn't stop moving. I never dug up the courage to ask my elder statesman what song it was. The riff stayed in my head until I later asked a friend for its identification just by humming the riff out on the playground during recess. I'm Greg Potters with albumreview.net. Are you looking to start your own podcast? I can save you a ton of time and money by helping you launch, publish, and grow your podcast. So this includes things like finding the equipment, the software, and tips and tricks that are gonna be right for you and your budget. Also, if you're looking for things like editors, designers, or you just wanna find out what the best platform to use is, that's what I do. So you can find me at albumreview.net or message me directly at gpotters at albumreview.net. Sweet Emotion would experience a second wave of success in the early 1990s after a re-release on the band's box set, Pandora's Box. This song is another attention grabber. I liken it to your Stairway to Heaven or Smoke on the Water or Sweet Child of Mine. Not because they sound similar, but because Sweet Emotion is in the Hall of Fame of rock and roll songs. Everyone has heard it. There's a reason for this. It's damn good.
Boys in the Attic has many other hidden gems, such as No More, No More, another gritty, fast, raw rock and roll song. Just another riff that is contagious. This album sounds like it was recorded in a small club. No instruments dominate over any of the others. Jack Douglas, the producer, masterfully equalizes each track, giving you a taste of every section of his five-piece band. Jack Douglas masterfully equalizes each track, giving you a taste of every section of this five-piece band. The album's only ballad, You See Me Crying, closes everything out. This song contains heavy piano and orchestration over the bass, guitar, and drums. This song took the longest amount of time to record due to its instrumental complexity.
first time when Aerosmith completed the recording of Toys in March 1975, they didn't realize that they had a hit on their hands about to be released to the world. I still defend Aerosmith's place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They belong there as much as any band currently or previously inducted, maybe more than others. Well, definitely more than others. Toys in the Attic was Aerosmith's first album that really drove that point home. It made most fans sit up and notice them. And if you're stuck with the image of songs like Aerosmith's later tunes, Pink, Crazy, or Amazing, pick up Toys in the Attic. It'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand straight up, I promise. Thanks again for listening to this review of Aerosmith's third album, Toys in the Attic, 1975. I truly think Aerosmith's image took a little bit of a hit in the 2000s, and many forget how frickin' real and raw they were in the 70s. Don't forget. If you're interested in any of the albums or books that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available, any platform. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. And also, 
If you guys could be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. I do want to hear from you. Please email me your feedback, album review requests, and any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, product, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. Visit our YouTube page and stay tuned for updates on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Yeah, yeah, I did it. You can find me at albumreviewnet. Well, that's all, folks. Until next time, now go listen to another episode. Music and passion whittle the world down to a small, manageable size. That's right. Seacrest, out. Take a trip down by the highway 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 Take a trip down